Hello and welcome to the 9320 podcast. I'm Joe and today I'm joined by Mr. Howard Hocking as we take a look at a new feature on the podcast which is around city cult heroes. Uh, Howard, how are you? Are you okay? Hello, I'm okay. Thanks. Not bad. Keep forgetting what day it is but... <laughs> <laughs> There's no football to guide us, so for a day or so, as the so. No. But, yeah. How are you? I'm. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I guess we were just saying off air. We we can just briefly touch on uh, the state of of world affairs as football is concerned. <laughs> uh, the first semi final of two, um, which neither of which will unfortunately feature England. Uh, how, how are you feeling about the whole World Cup and the state of play at the moment in the aftermath? <sighs> World Cup as a whole, I mean, there's been some football on the TV. <laughs> that's, it. that's it, really. You know, I, I, you know it's I just it's part of summer life for me. A World Cup, you know, a, a tournament football is part of summer life, and it's been a bit weird. And yeah, there's been some good football, but ultimately, and there's you know, there's been some great football. So there's been drama as well. But ultimately, I just don't see it living long in my memory because of so many reasons. Uh, but, and I said on the England Review, semi-finals look a bit anticlimactic now, not just because England are out, because I don't look at the World Cup in my enjoyment of it just as a sing- singular thing with one team. You know, I did think that just maybe, you know, when you look at a semi-final lineup, it might look a bit underwhelming. But now there's a game tonight. I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest. Because at the end of the day, it's semi-final. It's it's really real now, is it not? You know, there's knockouts and then it's like to get to the final. I I think France will win easily. But Croatia, Argentina, I think, yeah, it's a fascinating game. So I am, I'm looking forward to the game, to be honest. Uh, by the time this goes out, by the way, uh, we'll probably put it out when that game will have happened. So uh, <laughs> if it is the dullest nil-nil draw ever, then <laughs> yet again the, my curse has uh, has struck because often, especially especially knockout football, tournament football, the games you look forward to the most t- often tend to be the dullest ones. Uh, maybe the final, you know, often the finals as well because there's so much at stake. I just hope Morocco have got something left in them. Uh, to give France a good game, and I just hope we have. I mean, a third and fourth place playoff. Forget that. But I just hope there's three great games left, uh, and go out on a high with some entertaining football. Yeah, I, I pretty much condone and agree with all those comments. It's probably not been the most memorable of World Cup, and it certainly had an undercurrent and a weird feeling with it being in the in the winter. I think one thing I will say is Morocco are definitely going to be the story of it in years to come, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens, what a performance from them, but. Yeah, it's been a bit of a mad one. I, I must say, I've not like religiously watched all of it, and I'm not someone who religiously watches any football on the TV. I'm, I'm probably a city lover above football itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was, over the, I was over the England game pretty quickly. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I must say, I did particularly enjoy the needle between Argentina and Holland. I'm all for that, <laughs> I never get the commentators when they say, oh, these disgraceful scenes. I think it just adds to the, the, spectus, the spectacle oh. so much, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, we're all there. We don't want to see this. Of course we want to see it. And we'll get more of it. It's better than the actual match. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I guess we best start then. Uh, it's a new feature we've decided to do around um, our glorious club's cult heroes. And I'm guessing the phrase cult hero is quite ambiguous in a way or open to interpretation mm. be interesting to get your thoughts on 
what constitutes where Manchester City are concerned a cult hero I don't think it should yeah if I'm trying to answer that I don't think it's specific to City I think the criteria are probably the same across the board and ultimately it's impossible to answer (laughs) it's impossible to answer is it I think I think a club's fans decide what a cult hero is but as to why Mm. they do it that's very harder to define I think you have to have certain things that rule you out that rule out being a cult hero is the, the player can't be that good. He can't be just the greatest player ever because then that's legend and not cult hero. That's to be a flaw I think in a cult hero that like they're not the greatest player in the world, but they're not the worst one either that stunk the place out and you can't wait for them to go. They have to I guess ingratiate themselves into a club. Uh have that connection with fans, hundred ways of doing that. Pablo Zabaleta going to the chippy every week, maybe, and just being a decent guy, and just <laughs> getting players that get the club, players that overcome adversity, players that just put a hundred percent in, whilst perhaps not being the greatest ever. Players with a story, and you can just that you have a fondness for, but they lie somewhere ability-wise as not your greatest ever player and not one of the worst either. I guess there's a hundred ways to get there, but it's really pretty hard to define. I mean, I guess someone with a, a key moment as well, a key goal somewhere. There's many ways to get to a point of cult hero, but of course there will be great dis- much disagreement within even the City fan base about who our cult heroes are, so which just shows you it's not an easy thing to to decide on. And of course, that's why we've tackled it head on here on the podcast. Do you, um, do you make? Do you know? You're not avoiding the answer to this either. Do you know what makes um, a cult hero? For me, pretty similar to you. I think it's someone who's passing through. Um, like you say, uh, ability wise, I think obviously if you're a top player, especially at a club like now. You, you tend to stay at a distance and go down as a legend. But for yeah. me, a cult hero that someone's either passing through at a time of adversity or is a great player who maybe best years behind him but is doing a service to your club. Mm. Uh, but more importantly, buys into the culture of the football club and everything around it. Um, and someone that perhaps doesn't get the recognition of... That's probably not the case with the players we're going to cover today, but yeah. in other instances doesn't get the recognition of other big players in the team. And you only notice when they go. Yeah. So I think they have to be flawed. Uh, it's a good point about the time at the club. I think someone who stays for over a decade or, you know, a stalwart at the club is not really good. They could be a cult hero, I guess. They could you know, because of their service to the club. But often it is players that don't spend a long time there. And because the greatest players can't, you know, legends rather than cult heroes we may not produce, City might not produce another cult hero for decades to come because mm-hmm. our players are too good in a way. I guess people would disagree say, on the definition, yeah. So. By my definition, I'd probably say maybe Balotelli was the last one, someone like that, just an, an absolute character who, mm. as I say, passed through and was a bit of a lunatic. And but, I think that's as close you're going to get in the modern era, yeah. isn't it? But ultimately, he's only one because he didn't ultimately perform to his yeah. ability, did he? So, well, 
This brings us on to the players we're going to cover today who most definitely did perform to the maximum of their own abilities in the City shirt. It's going to be a, a podcast with a lot of feasting and a touch of delicacy. Um, and you might be able to work out, certainly, who we're talking about in one of those instances. But uh, we'll start with the uh, somewhat of a, a mercurial talent who was an absolute pleasure to watch in a City shirt, uh, and that was Ali Benabia. Uh, who joined the club on a free transfer, I believe, in um, September 2001. Um, after initially having had a trial at Sunderland, he was hijacked by Kevin Keegan and his coaching staff and convinced to join uh, a City team assembling a squad that was attempting to get back into the Premier League at the first time of asking after relegation. Um, Howard, my memory to start with Valle Bernabia was... Um, I'd never heard of him. I'm, I'm just going to hold my hands up. Uh, we were playing, I believe it was Birmingham uh, at Main Road. Uh, he, he basically started the game, I believe, or he certainly came on uh, and completely was on another level to anything I'd seen in my young time as a City fan at that point, uh, technically, uh, and just made all the players around him look better. Um, but to get straight into it, what were your initial thoughts on his signings? Had you had you heard of him? Did you know who no, he was? No. <laughs> you know when we did our World Cup preview, yeah, and uh, I can't remember who did it, but I was saying like one of the joys of the World Cup is that you discover new players, yeah, you know, players that just burst onto the scene, and how it's harder nowadays because everyone knows everyone. Anyway, there's articles written about the you know reserve players for Denmark and it's like you see all the Champions League football you see Europa League and Conference League and you know all these players and here was the play and you know you kind of lost that in the modern game and this I think Badabia shows that the year before he's captaining PSG in the uh, Champions League I think yeah but, and they were uh, a good team then as well yeah. weren't they PSG yeah no you know obviously not at the heights now uh, but they were a good team I think he won the league with them Uh I think, uh, I think, yeah, it was a team with JJ Okocha in. Are you too young to remember him? Or? Oh, no, I remember JJ. And I also remember a certain Brazilian in that PSG team. He went on to quite a career, Ronaldinho. So there was yeah. a few... Uh, it was quite a, a, an interesting team to watch, that, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, no, they didn't win anything. It was Bordeaux. When he was at Bordeaux, he won the title with them. So, you know, you'd know about him in the modern world. But yeah, let's be honest, absolutely. no, we didn't. And how we got him is just the stuff of urban legends and I, honestly I, I think it's in Kevin Keegan's uh, autobiography this but the, the story changes so many times so he'd definitely been to Sunderland and P I think Peter Reid was the manager and he had, yes. Peter Reid couldn't even be asked to come out and watch him in a do a trial and uh, Bernabe got really angry about that uh, William Mackay his agent uh, there's a name from the past uh, mm. he shared he was the agent of a City player as well. Can't, uh, can't remember his name now. It was one of the lesser Torres. I, <laughs> I think by the end of uh, Keegan's spell, <laughs> half the squad was represented by Mr. Yeah. McGuire, wasn't it? So, uh, the better. Yeah, so he swung around with him. Uh, uh, he, kept, he did a training session, looked amazing. They had a salmon lunch together and uh, the rest is history. And yeah. I what a debut! I mean, it's up there, isn't it, with debuts? I know it's a lower level. It's 
was even called the Championship in those days yet, I don't think. I think it was Division 1 still. Yes, uh, it was. Sponsored by ITV Digital. <laughs> oh my well. Yeah, it didn't last very long then. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it might not be Sergio Aguero's debut from the bench. You know, it's very little beats that, to be honest, or Erling Haaland, perhaps, at West Ham. Uh, but, yeah, that you just won't get that anymore. You won't just see this player you've not heard of come on and, like, and playmate, everyone loves playmakers more. You know, everyone loves a player like with Al Binabi's skill set more than most positions. Let's be honest; it what it's what you pay to see and gets you off your seat. And I think we forget as well that this this season where we you know ran away with the league didn't start. It was a very long season, of course, in the second tier. Like I assume there was still forty six games in those days. See, it didn't actually start that well. Birmingham had won like six games on a row as well. It there was still quite a bit of tension around the place. You know, uh, this city just didn't blast away the opposition for the whole season. It was like November, December by the time they really got going. You know, were just swatting sides, uh, other sides away, and just ran away and got ninety nine points. I think it was in the division. So at the time, just for him to come in and you know, I think City won three nil against a team really in form. It was quite important as well, rather than just being an amazing sight and a, an amazing experience. And yeah, it was just like, who on earth is this person? Who is it? This random man that just seems to have been plucked from the streets and put in a City shirt and just absolutely ran the show, didn't he? From mm. pretty much the first moment he put a City shirt on. I mean, just looking at him um, and his career, it goes to show how much you know the, the game has changed and social media has changed in the world because... He um, had won French Player of the Year, I think, when he was at Monaco. Uh, I listened to a podcast with Steve Howie on recently, and he said the reason Kevin Keegan was aware of him previously was that their, that great Newcastle team had played against Monaco in the Champions League, uh, and Bernabia was obviously yeah. in the Monaco team uh, and ran the show. I think that's been found to be nonsense. Uh, Keegan okay. had left. Like Keegan, I know that's part of what, that's part of the you know of he knowing about him. I think Keegan said since no, I've never heard of him. Right, he, okay, he, fair he, enough. He'd left, he'd left Newcastle, I think, two months before. So yeah, uh, but yeah, so maybe who Steve knows? Howie knew about him then, rather than <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Not yeah. that he recommended the signing, but yeah, uh, he knew about him. So yeah, he was certainly a player on on the um, on the scene who, who had a very good reputation outside of England. Uh, as you know, especially in those days, we do tend to get trapped in our Premier League bubble. Mm. Um, but I mean. You made a very good point there, and it's what I was going to come on to you next. That that season, without wanting to do a disservice to Joe Royal's team, because the impact they had on our club we still feel today, in my opinion. Uh, but I think it's fair to say they were a team of grafters and battlers. Uh, the odd sprinkling of, of you know technique with, with your Ian Bishops, but it was more about discipline and, and being difficult after years of ups and downs. Uh, and we hadn't really seen a player of the Banabia ilk, I would suggest, since maybe King Cladzi, would you say that's a fair statement? And it was just totally refreshing to see something different at Main Road after three or four years. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. 
So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.